podcast name played nobody part of the banner society network richard let's get all the uh promotion out up front this is a special episode as we slowly walk into coaching season uh you can follow us at banner society on twitter and instagram you can follow me at 38 godfrey on twitter and instagram richard uh give your social media um tags real fast uh you can follow me if you dare on twitter at rj underscore rights on twitter um nobody's allowed to follow me on instagram unless you're friends and family love you sorry you got that private yeah i got that private you gotta get the duel i got the nah. duel i got i got kid photos food and uh and then i got like and i got the 38 godfrey yeah and then yeah so twitter twitter's the best place to find me is it um Let's talk coaching. Here's what we're going to do today. This is a special standalone episode. Uh, you will. It is highly likely that you will hear from Richard and I on a recurring <laughs> basis as we walk hand in hand through coaching season. Um, technically, silly season started the moment that Rutgers fired Chris Ash. However, um, I feel like it takes a little bit more these days to kick things off than just a Rutgers opening. And we might be on the precipice of that happening soon. We have picked 10 schools, not at random necessarily, but just 10 schools to talk about on this episode uh we're going to set a couple ground rules real fast we want to talk about more than we know and we also want to address a lot of the questions that we get with hashtag AskPAPN on on uh twitter and on the reddit um we're going to be very clear about a couple things there's things we know there's things we've heard and there's things we think and there's things we wonder so please pay attention to the complete sentences here <laughs> we like this format because we like to share and riff and kind of walk through ideas if you're going to aggregate this into a competitor's blog, that's fine. But just make sure that you get the I thinks and the we knows uh, correct when we are discussing particular subject matter. So uh, what I'm going to do for this episode, just because we could riff all day long, is I'm going to set a three-minute timer that's going to go again and again and again. And we're going to talk about 10 schools for 30 minutes. Three-minute um, drill. Three-minute drill. As we go... We might change this format next week if particular schools were to open or if there's just one school that dominates conversation or if, or if somebody more loses than, or something. More than 10 schools. More than yeah. 10 schools. All right, Richard. We have three minutes to discuss. And this is a very tough uh, school to start off with. This is the first school that you wanted to talk about, and that is Brigham Young University, a very Jesus. vexing institution when it comes to coach openings because of all of the associated requirements and some of the dogma involved with with, with BYU and uh, and LDS and it, it's it didn't play by anybody's rules. I'm not trying to make a joke. It's <laughs> it a plays very by BYU's hard job. Rules. Yeah, it's a very hard job to prognosticate. Yeah, I look. I'm going to start this off by this. I do not think that BYU opens this season. I think Kalani Sitake has a lot of built-up goodwill. I think there's enough to kind of weather the storm right here. They had a quarterback issue, a quarterback injury. Um, they have enough, maybe, I think, to kind of weather the storm here. But if it does open, if it does come open, the first thing you need to realize is, A, they have to have a Mormon head coach. I don't think it's a rule. Like, it's not on the books. But they got to have a Mormon head coach. That's first and foremost. Second most, they would probably like to have a Polynesian head coach. Uh, BYU, <laughs> BYU just started a black quarterback on Saturday for the first time in the entire history of the football program since 1922. Having a head coach of color can help you cover some of the... Um, Let's call them blind spots, so to speak, in your school culture and 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 things of that nature. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a talking point and it's something that's, uh, is salient the right word kind of under the, you know, under the surface, but it is something to keep in mind. I think if BYU were to move on from Kalani Sataki and need to hire a replacement, the other thing that BYU is going to come up against because of those things that I just talked about is who, who exactly are you going to go get and get to hire? Um, the, the, the one a person is Kenya Matalolo, who's at Navy. Um, if he comes over, there is the option discussion. Is he going to want to run the option? Uh, are they going to let him run the option? There's that. Does he want to run the option at his next school? Those are all things also, to keep in he mind. Has, he's turned down this job before, I might add. This is not right. a job the, that the, he, he, he would be, my opinion is he would be the head coach at BYU right now if he wanted to be. I find BYU as a as a religious institution so much more fascinating um, than Notre Dame because of some of these. Uh, I, I don't want to call them eccentricities. I I want to call it unique to the program because I want to be respectful of the culture out there and and how fervent the following is of that team. Uh, there are some things here and there that make this job very very unique. All right, here's the deal with BYU before we move on. We're talking about a school that has a win over USC, a win over Tennessee, and a loss to USF, who we'll speak about in a second. So it's an extremely strange situation. It's definitely the toughest one to talk about. They're two and four right now. But again, they're two wins. Tennessee, Southern California, they've lost to Toledo. They lost to USF. We'll talk about them in a second. And by the way, the remaining schedule for this season, uh, Boise State, a bye, Utah State, Liberty, Idaho State, UMass, and San Diego State. If I had to bet right now, I don't think they're 500. Fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the quarterback thing is just hard to get over. Yep. All right, let's move on. Uh, Here's one that we can do a little bit faster, and that is Indiana. Indiana, everything we've heard, this is something that we're not talking about. This is something that I've heard specifically from people in the industry that I've spoken with. Indiana is not lighting the world on fire, Richard. However... They're doing pretty well by their own standards, and they're uh, they're really adopting, I, I think, a very very slow pace type plan, and I think it's working. Yeah, back to back five and sevens this year probably is another five and seven. Uh, but the thing to realize about BYU is they're actually recruiting very well. Like I'm talking about two or three of the highest rated recruits ever for Indiana's program just signed with Indiana in December slash February. Um, so recruiting's going well. From what I'm told, the coaching staff there pretty much gets what they need as far as institutional backing. And that kind of tells you as an assistant coach that the institution is kind of in it with you for the long haul. Um, mm-hmm. if you kind of get what you need there. So I like, I don't know, I think things are okay in Indiana. Things are okay in Indiana right now as they stand uh this season. They're four and two overall. Uh I don't know, best win here. Their wins are a collection of Ball State, Eastern Illinois, UConn, and Rutgers. They were blown out by Ohio State as teams kind of happen. want to do. (laughs) Yeah, and then a nine-point loss at a then-ranked Michigan State team. They close out with a road trip to Maryland, a road trip to Nebraska, home with Northwestern, a road trip to Penn State, home for Michigan, and then at Purdue. This could swing to a six-win season. It could also swing to a five- or four-win season. It's very possible. There's a lot of volatility here. However, I think regardless, there is a commitment 
with Tom Allen through the following season. So that's one that with a minute remaining, unless you've got anything else, I feel like this is one that's come up casually. I think Indiana's fine. I think they like the fact he's a native-born son. Obviously, he has good Florida ties. He was defensive coordinator at USF, or I know special teams coach, I believe. It was, um, he's he's seasoned enough as a recruiter in the right areas outside of Indiana. Um, he's got a, a decent enough staff. And again, I the thing that strikes me about Indiana is Wake Forest and Kentucky last year. You invest, you back away, and you really let them cycle four or five classes deep before you create a referendum. And I think that's that, that's not the worst idea in the world. As long as you can win enough in the beginning, you're all right. I think it's okay. All right. There we go. We made up a little time on Indiana. Thank you, Hoosiers. Oh, look at that. Hey, look, an actual job opening, Richard. You ready? Rutgers. Yeah. Um, here's what I can tell you right now. There are three names associated with this job. There's three names of interest, and then there's the field. So is it just three names? No. But is, are there three prominent names before you would discuss anyone else? Yes. Those three names specifically, former Rutgers head coach, Greg Schiano, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Mississippi State coach Joe Moorhead, and former Tennessee coach Butch Jones. Um, if I had to, if I had to put them in an order, I would put them in the order I just read them, Richard. But it depends on the vantage point of who you're talking about around Rutgers. Uh, we do know that Rutgers will bump their salary pool for assistance to make this thing a little bit more competitive. Those are three distinct names in a lot of ways. Very interesting times in Piscataway. I think the expectation level is not to foolishly try and become Penn State or Ohio State. It's just to show some sort of functionality at this point. Yeah, the the first thing to understand about whoever takes this Rutgers job is that whoever takes this Rutgers job is going to be uh, protected. And I mean that in a sense of, like Godfrey already said, about the assistant pool with assistant salary. Um and the other thing there is there's going to be some Matt Rule-like guarantees in a sense of years and guaranteed money, maybe not necessarily top-end amount of money, but guarantees of money to where you're going to be kind of protected when you walk in there. You're walking into the worst job in Power 5. Everybody knows it. Um, I'll tell you this. If I'm an up-and-comer, not a Moorhead Shiano Jones guy, um, if I'm an up-and-comer, a young-ish guy, and it comes down to that, I go G5. Like, why, why would I want to go to Rutgers? Why would I want to go to Rutgers and have the 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 ceiling on Rutgers reliably be like seven wins? Because I start the season off in the hardest division for an up-and-comer school probably in the country, being the Big Ten East. Um, and so, like, that's that's three losses off the bat. Uh, one of the things, like, I, like, one of the things, Richard, that uh, has jumped out to me is that Rutgers scheduling has been incongruent with 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 creating a functional program. And I'm I'm really inter- interested to gather all of the people over the years who have made these decisions at Rutgers and what exactly their methodology was. What was the plan here? Why are you playing games against Washington? Um, Let's say hypothetically for a second, this is not a team on the list today. If Illinois were to open and you compared Rutgers and Illinois, right away there's two things that jump out at you. Illinois is in the easier division in the Big Ten, which means that you have, what, X more winnable games, 1.5? Is that is yeah. that the degree of variance? Okay, and the other thing is this. I was looking at Illinois' future schedules and Rutgers' future schedules. At both of those jobs, in Indiana included, by the way, you need to schedule wins. You need to schedule wins. These are not schools where you're trying to be superstar. You have Big Ten tradition now. I mean, Indiana and Illinois obviously as members, 
But you have why in the world is Rutgers playing these these tough opponents? Period. Full stop. Yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. Before we move on, this is, I, I just want to. This is what I'm talking about with the idea that I I don't know what you're doing. You're getting the big check, by the way, from the Big Ten Network and in the TV deal, just the way everybody else is, the way Ohio State and Michigan is. Uh, future schedules include. They've got a one-on-one with Syracuse. They've got a one-on-one with a really good Temple team that's coming up next year. Okay, They've got a long-standing series. I see at least four games on the schedule against Boston College. They've got a uh, a one-on-one with Virginia Tech and a one-on-one with Kansas State. Why? (laughs) Why? I don't understand any of this. And if you could get your way out of it, I I would suggest that you do that because you're just setting yourself up. I think for a tremendous amount of failure in those games. I really do. Uh, Very, very quickly. The push-pull here when it comes to Shiano is this. As far as I understand, uh, the boosters, etc. want Shiano. As far as I understand, the AD, maybe a little bit less so. So that will be the push-pull to look for uh, if Greg Shiano himself wants this job as that negotiation starts to happen. Richard, have you ever heard of... Oh, I'm going to set my timer. A college football program that goes undefeated in the SEC and can't win a game in the Mountain West. I, sure. Let me introduce you to the UNLV running Rebels. Incredible um, times we have. As it stands right now, UNLV is 2-4. and four. They are 0-2 in the Mountain West, and they have just defeated Vanderbilt by 24 points in Nashville. Unbelievable. Uh, their other win is an FCS opponent, Southern Utah. The remaining schedule for 2-4 and four UNLV is at Fresno, home for San Diego State, at Colorado State, a bye week Hawaii, San Jose, another team that's won a game in the SEC this year, and then at Nevada to end the season. It is entirely possible that you could have an 0-8 schedule. Now, maybe they trip up and beat Colorado State or San Jose. It is, but it's very possible that you have a team that goes 1-0 in the SEC and 0-8 in the Mountain West this year. Tony Sanchez, tell me what you know about him. Uh, Tony Sanchez, the Bishop Gorman, former head coach. Uh, Bishop Gorman is the football power in Las Vegas. It is the the high school that produces a lot of talent out there, um, a lot of sports talent. So BYU currently under construction, I actually believe maybe recently opened, um, Frank Fertitta is one of the money guys at UNLV. Uh, I believe they have an investment in the UFC. Um, the Fertitta, the Fertitta family investment in UFC, a lot of money, care about UNLV, are funding a lot of stuff in UNLV. Aside from the Raiders Stadium, which is opening up, BYU also, sorry, UNLV also had to and does now have a football facility. That facility is named for the Fertitas. The Fertitas, I believe it's the Fertitta children, played under Tony Sanchez at uh, Bishop Gorman, if I have that all right. Um, That is to set the groundwork of what the deal is here. The money, as I understand it, likes Tony Sanchez, at least for now. Now, that may change if if UNLV goes 3-9. and But for now, I think he's in a, a, I wouldn't even say decent, I would say okay bordering on trending towards bad and poor the saving grace here is some of the money is in his corner but i don't think that saves him you know if they go four and eight three and nine that's not gonna save him um the unlv is kind of going into a new era with the stadium and all that sort of stuff um so now it's it's do they want to go into that new era with a splash 18 and 36, the overall coaching record since he took the job 
in 2015. Uh, their best season, five and seven, two years ago in 2017. They've never gone better than five and seven. Uh, that was also their best year in conference play. They went 500. So the, the uh, athletic director there has already kind of done the vote of confidence thing. She was asked in like week two about the situation. Right. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this: I think Tony Sanchez, if he if he gets fired here, will be fine. I think he is a Pac-12 assistant coach like tomorrow because of his ties with West Coast high schools out there, and and from what we've told, is a, is a liked guy in coaching circles. This is a job that will attract more attention than you realize for everything that Richard just said about the investment, the growth of the city of Las Vegas, as well as the conduit with the West Coast and the emergence of Las Vegas as a football community. Um, as a known football community, as I put three more minutes on the clock, we talk about now those South Florida Bulls who put BYU in the strangest of positions, um, as we mentioned earlier. South Florida, this was a dead-to-rights situation and possibly, I think at one point, the candidate for the earliest, the first firing of the year. Um, USF is actually 500, by the way. If you haven't noticed, they've won their last two games. They beat UConn 48-22, to which, you know, that is what it is. Uh, then they flat out upset mm-hmm. BYU. They are now at 500. Their remaining schedule at Navy, at East Carolina, a bye week, home for Temple, home for Cincinnati, home for Memphis, and at UCF. That back into the schedule starting in November, those final four games, that's going to be rough. That, yeah. I uh, Look. USF, and we've talked about we talked about USF on the Sunday Hurry Up a few weeks ago. I, I wrote kind of a Reddit blurb about the state of play before the UConn game. Um, the state of play before that UConn game was he'd better win that game or it becomes a midseason change. What Charlie's been able to do and USF has been able to do the last two weeks, especially I think the defense played really well on Saturday against, albeit, a backup quarterback for BYU, but hey, they won the game. Um they they took care of business against UConn, beat BYU. I think that has bought Charlie Strong time to the end of the season to see if they can make consistent improvement and if he can really, really turn this thing around. Um, you know, that that's kind of how the world turns here. And and that's how quickly these things can change from week to week. Here's to what week. I can tell you. It's very possible that that USF is five hundred going into that Thursday night game against Temple to start that home stretch because it's very likely they could split the next two against Navy or East Carolina. It's very likely they could lose or win both of those games. So if that happens, I think you're exactly right. I think that you have to wait and, and and have a referendum on Charlie later. It also doesn't hurt that it's a good bit of money. It's, it's, it's money that USF would like to earmark for future projects. This job, Richard, if it does open, I think it's deceptively frustrating. Uh, USF has not kept pace with UCF. Uh, there's don't even talk about the issue of the stadium for a second. Richard, tell me about their practice facilities. It's the indoor practice facility. They need an indoor practice facility on campus before anything else. And they need not only just the indoor practice facility, they need the weight room, the football standalone facility. They need all that stuff with all the bells and whistles there. They need it yesterday. Um, football only, at least the football only we believe we believe they'll, can put a shovel in the ground for that in April. What else they put in that facility when they put that shovel in the ground, we will see. But USF is sort of in the same situation as like a Boston College where you're 500 right now, you understand the history of the of the recent years. I, I think you've given enough leeway to see if um, to see if the rest of the season can be turned around. Richard, let's move to the SEC. Um, the University of Arkansas, what what jumps out at you about this Chad Morris era right away? 
uh, the fact that they are over in conference games, and I think that they will remain over in conference games through two seasons. Chad Morris's Arkansas Razorbacks did not inherit what they wanted in terms of personnel. Uh, no, no one argues this. All right. <laughs> However, um, I do think we have we have concepts of year zero. We have concepts of of year zero and negative one. Okay. I was gonna say this is like a year point five. Apparently, exactly. This the, the situation is this at Arkansas. They may not win, but I don't think Arkansas. I don't think Arkansas knows that or believes that. I think at this point you would have to start looking at well, was there this level of deficit in terms of talent on the roster that Brett Bielema left behind? Because what two zero and eight seasons would tell you is that this is a worse situation than the John L. Smith roster that Bielema got in the first place. And I don't believe that. I think a lot of people in football don't believe that. So that's the biggest issue here. Uh, the bottom line is the remaining games for Arkansas don't look winnable. They're 2-4 and four right now. They're 0-3 in the conference. Um, it's Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State, LSU, Missouri in conference play. They're going to lose all those games, the swing game being Mississippi State. Honestly, even with the way State looked against Tennessee, I still think I would favor the Bulldogs in that one. It's in Fayetteville, by the way. The game I'm interested in this is right after Mississippi State, they play Western Kentucky. They play a former Arkansas quarterback in Ty Story who basically left the program as Morrison Company went in, and it was essentially like an evaluation play that he wasn't fit to play there, okay? Maybe fit for the system, fit for the SEC. Your mileage may vary. Here's how this is going to play locally, and all politics are local. (laughs) You could have a winless team in the SEC lose to Western Kentucky to a former Arkansas quarterback that the current staff, I don't want to say pushed out, but just it didn't work out with. That's a pretty strong referendum, even though it's year two for Arkansas. And that might actually create enough of a, of a movement to be two and done on a coach. I mean, you're, you're, you kind of have the, the pulse of Arkansas way better than I do. Like, are they what do they think they should be right well that's an answer that no one has really found to be totally honest with you and 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 the answer to that question changes as person to person i think this is a this is a program that has never understood its identity or found its place in the pecking order of the southeastern conference and by the way they got here in 92 guys so i mean like it's been a minute um oh and eight every year is not the is not anyone's pecking order Period. But the thing Full is, they've the, the thing. But the thing there is, is they've done Atlanta. They've done Atlanta a couple times. Yes. You know, like, and that's kind of the 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 funny kind of part about it is, you know, they're not a they're not a your alma mater, the University of Mississippi, where they you know can't get to Atlanta. They they bridge. have been there. Got a, got a little segue bridge coming up. That was perfect as time expired. I will say this by the way. I'm going to interrupt my own segue to say this, Richard. This is not I know. This is not I have been told. This is an I believe. Are you ready? I believe. I believe. Of course, Arkansas would try and hire Gus Malzahn again. (laughs) Of course they would. I believe that. I believe that. All right, moving on. Uh, My alma mater, uh, the University of Mississippi. You've asked me to try and describe this infographic that's making the rounds. So Mississippi has something... well, because not only did not only is the head coach deal, but there's also a uh, there is also a chancellor deal and an athletic director deal that Ole Miss has to sort out before they even get to the head coaching thing. Um, I know the chancellor deal is wild. I need you to explain that to me and our audience, but mostly me. Like I'm five. 
Deals on deals on deals on deals. Here's the situation at Ole Miss. People have asked. It's it's uh, the most asked question I get, I guess, because of my affiliation with the university. But to do this real fast, Ole Miss is three and four. They're two and two in the SEC, which is mind boggling, except that their wins are against Arkansas and Vanderbilt. They close out against A&M, Auburn. They are home for a homecoming game against New Mexico State, and then it's LSU and Mississippi State. I would still, again, Mississippi State notwithstanding is this sort of swing game all of a sudden. I think they lose all those games. Okay, I think they beat New Mexico State, and I, I, honestly, this is just—it's just a matter of talent and comparison. So I think that that puts them at a four and eight season. Um, there's noticeable decline in the program. Of course, we know everything that happened on with Hugh Freeze, the NCAA. Let's just talk about this program at the moment. I think the hiring of the two coordinators was a stopgap. I think that Mike McIntyre and Rich Rodriguez are going to be headed elsewhere anyway because they're both trying to get head coaching jobs again. I think it was a temporary solution. Old misses without a chancellor. Now they have a chancellor in Glenn Boyce. Okay, this was a guy who was actually contracted to help advise the search committee for the new chancellor of the University of Mississippi. Something called the huh. IHL, which is the Institute of Higher Learning in Mississippi. It's independent of the University of Mississippi structure. It's not like the Alabama Board of Trustees. It's independent. It's a state-run organization with heavy, heavy, heavy uh, subjectivity to political influence. I'll leave it at that. So in theory, they work with both state and Ole Miss. No, they just oversee all of them gotcha. in the public okay, schools. Okay. Um, okay. There's a heavy political influence. There's a, a ton of short-sighted myopic bullshit because this is Mississippi and it need I say more. And I only have a minute and a half to explain <laughs> all this to Richard. Um, they made a poor hire. They made a hire that was basically a good old boy as former Senator Trent Lott used to describe him in Glenn Boyce. This is a guy who's a traditionalist in many, many, many ways. Uh, oh shout out my. to his wonderful mustache. Again, I only have so much time to riff on this. They have a chancellor in place who's going to have to play a lot of PR. They also do not have an athletic director because Ross Bjork left Ole Miss under some very acrimonious circumstances between himself and the power brokers at the University of Mississippi. He went to Texas A&M. He's then taken a couple other people to Texas A&M from Ole Miss with him. They have an interim AD who's about my age. His name's Keith Carter. He played basketball there. He will not be the permanent AD. They are finalizing an AD as we speak. I've... Uh, been abreast of some of those candidates here's what i can tell you (laughs) at some point the reality of old miss and the reality of the southeastern conference is the next athletic director at old miss is going to have to fire matt luke he's going to have to fire matt luke either in 2019 or 2020 or 2021 matt luke is extremely well connected matt luke is an alumnus he's a mississippian he has a lot of family ties both with he and his wife in the area in jackson and the coast in oxford this is a very sort of dug-in type situation I don't see Ole Miss rebounding. I don't see Ole Miss suddenly going 9-3 and three next year. By the way, if you want to look up something really funny, I just described you the 4-8 and eight season for Ole Miss, right, Richard? Seems yeah. pretty plausible. That's not me just being aggressive on Ole Miss. Ole Miss's 2020 schedule, I'm just going to read the front half of it to you, all right? I won't even – I'm going to go – I'm going to go to October 17th, halfway through the season next year. You ready? Hit me. Ne- neutral site game against Baylor, SEMO, <sighs> Auburn, LSU, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Florida. Oh, my God. This is what they're talking about in Oxford right now. So, do I think That's this two job... That's four. Maybe. Uh, depends on what's going on at Vanderbilt. We'll talk about them in a second. That's the situation. I think Matt Luke was put in an unwinnable situation. He did it because he was, quote, a good rebel. Obviously, there were some uh, a lot of people who who still claim to this day he was not the actual pick that he was sort of pushed in by a contingent of interested parties at the last minute. I tend to believe that theory. I don't think he'll be the head coach by the time 2021 rolls around. I think it depends on the timing of the athletic director hire that they are about to make. Richard. Woo! Vanderbilt. Partridge in a pear tree, baby. Vanderbilt. 
Lost to UNLV. At home. Uh, to the other side of the khaki bowl. Um, look, I... So on the one hand, you have this. On the one hand, you have uh, Derek Mason, who was up for the Colorado job last year, which we know. Um, You also have the new athletic director who pulled the trigger on uh, the basketball coach to install. Yes, Bryce Drew to install what Jerry Stackhouse Mm -hmm. um, quite quickly upon arrival. Um, I I, I don't know. I I don't know. (laughs) Like. Is is Derek Mason's is Derek Mason being tight with the money people enough to save him? Tight with the money people and a few wins over Tennessee enough three to in save a row, him? or or is the program or the program expectations that James Franklin built will those crush him in the end? Vanderbilt is currently one in five. They are 0-3 in the Southeastern Conference. Their sole win comes against first-year, uh, I forgot NIU's head coach's name, but a, a first-year program in NIU at home, 24-18. to They've been vaporized in every other game. Uh, it's not even... They're all, I mean, they're the worst team in the SEC. They're a bottom-five team in Power 5. So this week, they're home against uh, Missouri. They have a bye. Then they finish the season at South Carolina, at Florida, Kentucky. They're home for ETSU. That's Eastern Tennessee State. And then they're at Neyland to close the year. So uh, ETSU, notwithstanding, this is a two and ten football team. This really yeah. comes down to let, let's ask some questions. All right, Malcolm Turner came from the NBA. Malcolm Turner is applying a very corporatized, and I don't mean that in a negative way, viewpoint of the potential of Vanderbilt as it stands, both in the Southeastern Conference, Richard, but in the city of Nashville, which is a growing city, a city that, that you know wore the it city status for the better part of the last decade. There's a ton of investment here. The population growth is increasing, and then on top of that, the football talent is actually increasing as well. You're like, like Vanderbilt. You don't, you don't have to add, Vanderbilt. I was gonna say you. I, like I can sell this a little bit very quickly. Like you're never gonna be like Miami cool, but what Miami was able to do, what USC was able to do, what sort of Stanford was able to do, is be a private school in a metro area and do something to appeal to that community, to where the community can rally around you. Um, and you know you're a Harvard, you're an Ivy of whatever region you're in, but that doesn't matter if the community gets around you. Miami is a private school. And what is the culture surrounding Miami? Look at who's a Miami fan. Now, look, I know that Vanderbilt, because Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt, is never really going to be able to get that cool um, in in cool-adjusted terms with Nashville. But I'm saying, like, you can do the things there similar to, like Miami has done, like USC has done, etc., to appeal to that community, to win, um, and to get cool, whatever cool means, in Nashville, um, and become attractive. Like, James Franklin just did it. It is possible. I do think you have to make a dynamic statement, and the the thing that has plagued Mason is not as a football coach. I think Mason would instantly be a defensive coordinator at any number of places he so chooses. I think he would go back out west. I think the issue here is that you have to do something out of the ordinary at Vanderbilt, and that could mean a number of things. An extremely young, vocal head coach like James Franklin, or it means they hire Jeff Munkin and run the triple. I don't think they're going to do that. But uh, it has to be something noticeable and dynamic. I will say this, Richard. Vanderbilt stands to be, potentially, the first coach that, a uh, first school, excuse me, that I could ever 
imagine being in the power five and making back to back to back minority hires. It's possible. I don't think it's likely. That would be insane for so many reasons. Um, but I, like, I, I also think this, and I think Derek Mason deserves maybe an iota of credit here. What James Franklin was able to do was in an SEC East where Florida was four and eight and Georgia was struggling. Um, Derek Mason does not have that cover right now. Similar to Rutgers in the Big Ten East, Vanderbilt does not have the cover of Florida being bad and Georgia being bad and Tennessee being bad. Tennessee's bad, but Georgia and Florida are not. So, you know, that caps what you can do. Richard, Southern California. You mentioned him earlier. <sighs> Speaking of James Franklin. Uh, I was on the phone with a coach who kind of I was we were just playing around with scenarios and talking about job shifts and what what affects the market you could argue that USC could finish the season with eight wins it's entirely possible I I like I want to know what it would take to what do you think it would take for USC to do to keep Clay Holton's job at this point is there is it can it be done is this a a fait accompli as you like to say uh no because I think Heritage Hall is highly unpredictable and I'm not going to claim like I know what's going on inside Heritage Hall. I mean, they hired Lynn Swan. They fired Lynn Swan. They've they've let they've let fester one of the strangest admissions and or just sort of collegiate scandals we've ever seen go through their athletic department seemingly unchecked. I don't know, Richard. I don't know. But here's what I do know: they are currently, as I said, three and three. They're at 500 right now. They were three points away from beating Notre Dame in Notre Dame. Don't think that went unnoticed by people in Heritage Hall. Okay, they have a homecoming game against Arizona. They, have, they are at Colorado, home for Oregon, at Arizona State, at Cal, home for UCLA. Those last four games, they could lose, all of them. They could maybe split them. Some people seem to think with the sheer talent that they have at positions like wide receiver, that if they're functional enough in the pass-catch battery, that they can just win some games on talent and roll over schools like Colorado and Arizona. I don't know if I see that. I don't. I don't really know. I always defer to football coaches when they say stuff to me because they're football. Coaches I think and that I'm not. They could out talent Colorado quite easily. They probably will. Like I like, they can. I think there's there's a kernel of truth there. I will say that. Everybody wants to talk about USC opening. Everybody wants to talk about either James Franklin or they want to talk about an NFL wild card or someone with USC ties. Some someone with sort look of late if USC, USC ties. This if job's USC not opens, open. If USC opens, they are calling James Franklin first. That's not to say James Franklin is going, but they are calling James Franklin first. I think they're calling James Franklin. I don't know if it's first because this is one of the more vexing cultures in all of college football. All right, last one, Richard. Less vexing and much more transparent, in my opinion, is Virginia Tech. Huh, what your, in the world? Your favorite community. What in the world? Uh... I never thought I'd be saying this about Justin Fuente. I, I've, I've done my mea culpa enough to say that I thought this was going to be a good fit. Um, the times have changed the state of Virginia. Old Dominion exists. We can talk about them on another show. That's another school that may or may not open. We don't know. Um, the identity that Virginia Tech built was with recruits out of Newport Nudes and Tidewater area. They went where the, the talent Tidewater. Was. Very nice. Uh, they went to they went to D.C. They went to Atlanta. They went to Carolina, and they went to the Tidewater in Virginia, and they built really good teams that won on awesome defense and special teams and a dynamic style and identity. They lack all of that now, all of that. Um, there were times again in the game against Rhode Island on Saturday where they could have lost. They won 34-17, to just paying 
paying it where it's due. They are only four and two. They are, however, one and two in the ACC. Their games are as follows. And get ready because other than Georgia Tech, this is a similar, yeah, I could see them winning that game or they're going to get killed in almost every one of these matchups. You ready? Your favorite North Carolina Tar Heels, a bye. <laughs> at Notre Dame, home for Wake, at Georgia Tech, home for Pitt, and then at Virginia in the Commonwealth Cup that, my God, if there's ever been a year where Virginia knows that they can do it and need it so badly, this is the year, right? I think both these teams are going to need this bad. bad. This is one where I do not think you should let the record speak for itself. The win, they're 4-2 they're and two right now. You want to know what those wins are? Those mm. wins are to Old, Old Dominion, Furman, and Rhode Island. All right? They have uh, a seven-point win by in Miami. A, yeah, they beat Miami by a touchdown in a game that they were up what twenty-eight nil on. Um, like, don't let the record fool you here. This this is going to be a thing where you may look up and say, "Wait, Justin Fuente went went X and Y, yet they still fired him." There's more going on here, and and we don't have the time to get an old Dominion. We promise that we will, but you know, some of the recruiting and the fit stuff just hasn't worked out for Justin Fuente and this may be a situation if it happens I'm not saying that I understand it to be happening right now I am very very clearly spitballing right now I want to make that clear if this happens this may be a scenario where it's like both parties are just like yeah maybe we part ways maybe maybe it's a mutual parting of the ways in a press release that me and you will actually tell you folks that oh yeah that actually kind of is a mutual parting of the ways um, as far as the as far as the long view goes on the season, let's say they just get the doors blown off in the next three games: North Carolina, Notre Dame, and and Wake. That still puts them at four and five, going to Atlanta, where they'll probably beat Georgia Tech, just because of the situation at Tech this year. And that puts them at five and five with two to go. They're not going to fire this guy early, even if they just get smoked the next couple weeks. That's not with Babcock, the AD. That's not his style. I think if this happens, it's going to be quick, swift, and if there is a coaching search at Virginia Tech, it's going to be clandestine. It's going to be quiet, and when it happens, it's just going to appear. That's Whit Babcock is sort of of that Greg Burns school of hiring, and he moves a like a ninja. Yes, absolutely. Richard, that's 10 schools. There'll probably be 10 more people want us to talk about. If you want to talk about an opening, either be it – a coach you want fired, a coach you want hired, or just someone you think is going to make a move in college football, hit us up at, uh, excuse me, not at, well, you can do at 38 Godfrey, at RJ underscore rights, but uh, hashtag please, ask PAPN. Um, we will be back in the near future with one of these episodes.